Hello and welcome to another of our short podcasts focused on the event industry. I'm Martin Blunt. And in this episode, we're looking at event accessibility. My guest is Mick Scarlett, co-CEO of the charity FAB. Mick, th- thank you so much for talking to us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Martin. FAB's a huge national charity. I think 120 clubs all over the UK I saw on the website. Yeah, 120, 130. I think it's 120 or 130. Um, yeah. And the whole ethos of FAB is to try and get disabled and non-disabled people of all ages together. And, you know, it started in 1957 when most disabled people went to special schools, were in care or, or were kind of othered, separated from society. And so FAB started to try and counteract that. Now, obviously, fast forward to the 21st century, it's not quite as bad as it was back then. But still, a lot of the people that FAB supports it's their one social event of the week. They go, it's safe, it's secure, it's accessible. Everyone's going to understand that they might have different needs and meet them. So kind of that's what we do. And we kind of keep coming up with different ways of doing that. And we've got big plans for the future. But uh, other than that, that's what we do. And yeah, it's, um, it's been a bit of a shock. Uh, I've only been there just over a year working with my co-CEO, Dawn. And... Uh, I came from, well, originally I came from the media, just like you. We, we all end up doing something slightly different to the way that yeah. we started our careers. So, yes, you were, yeah. people should know, you were, you were on the telly, I was on the radio. Now, you run a big national charity and I work in events. So, these, these things come full circle. It's interesting about Fab. It's a big old charity, but it's not one of those household names, is it? Is that on your to-do list to maybe spread the word a bit? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, part of the reason why I was brought in is because I kind of understand the media and publicity and getting the word out. I'm also, I've got quite a high profile in the disabled community. Um, I mean, one of the problems is is that Fab being so old has got a lot of baggage from when it was young. Haven't we all? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, we can't talk about that. But do you know what I mean? Like, like we weren't so politically aware. Um, language was different. Attitudes were different. It was quite paternal, so it wasn't as um, in, you know, in- inclusive in its management and the way it thinks. So that's why I've been brought in to kind of update it, bring it up to sort of the modern way of working with, because, you know, it used to be very much kind of, we're doing this for you, and now it's, we're doing this with you. And that's really the best way we can do it. So even if we don't get to be a household name, I just really want to make it so that if someone comes along, they feel that it's theirs, whether they're disabled or not, whether they're a family, you know, got a family member that's disabled, who, whatever, they can feel they own it, rather than it's a bit, well, we put all this stuff on for you, isn't it great? Um, so that's the, that's the key aim. Your journey to Fab, though, you say you've only been in the in the role that you're in now for a short while, but your journey to Fab, I mean, you've been involved a lot longer than that. Yeah, I have, yeah. I mean, I've always been disabled, but at the age of 15, I was very ill uh, and came out of hospital after about nine months in hospital, unable to walk. So I became a wheelchair user and I'd lost all... I mean, it was at the time when you're leaving school. So all of my friends were going off to do things. So you kind of lose your friends anyway then. And I lost all of my friends. So I was kind of a lonely, newly paralysed 15-year-old. <laughs> and I had nothing to do. And uh, my social worker said, well, why don't you go to the local fab club? So I did. I went a couple of times. And it just gave me the confidence to think, yes, I can do stuff. Because I, when you beca- it's funny, even though I was disabled, when I became paralysed and a wheelchair user, I, 
I bought into all those ideas about what a wheelchair user would be. And I thought my life was over. And going to the clubs kind of went, oh, no, I could do that. I could go here. No, I could. And, you know, within about three months after that, I was back at college studying. I'd got a girlfriend. I'd formed a band uh, and was regularly down the pub wearing far too much new romantic makeup. I've seen the pictures, actually, but we'll gloss over that. We'll, we'll gloss over that. Which, which, which all leads me to the, to the fact that Fab and yourself, Mick, are probably the best people placed to tell us in the event industry what is best practice, how we should be making uh, events more accessible to the entire community. I know you, you run a lot of events yourself, so... Um, do we do enough in the event industry? Um, uh... you, you, you don't have to be polite. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, I think that, uh, I mean, I, ironically, my first ever job was working for an exhibition company that built exhibition stands. So that was my first job. So I kind of had an insight into the exhibition and events world already. Then I spent many years working in clubs uh, both as a promoter and as a DJ and as a band performing as well as putting on my own nights. So I know the pressures on the other end, but I also think that there's just n there's not been enough done forever. And what's weird is occasionally you get somewhere gets it right, but they don't continue that kind of culture because it's quite an industry where people change jobs and move around and different companies buy events and all this kind of stuff. You can be at a, a you know, like say a festival one year and it's great. You go out the next year and it's awful. And you're like, but you did it right last year. Why have you forgotten? And the answer is because it's not cultural. It's specific people know what they're doing. And if they move on, then all of that memory is lost. So, and that's why um, when I moved over to, to Faber's, you know, the co-CEO, part of what I wanted to do was start up a, um, a consultancy and a training project that went into businesses and said, look, we can help you. You know, um, I've got decades of experience in events and sort of exhibitions, like I said, and I'm a trained access consultant. We've got loads of new um, sort of younger disabled people have joined. One of the sort of key drives is that you will get a disabled person explain to you what you need to do. So it's not one of those, again, back to the, we're telling you what to do. Um, we, as the disabled community, are saying this is best practice. So, um, so we can go in, we can train all of your staff, so all of your security, et cetera. We can, um, you know, all of the people serving and getting people in. We can make sure that you've got, you know, accessible viewing stands, that you understand about how to make your websites accessible, how to make, you know, your communications and everything easier to understand. I mean, a big one is booking tickets. We have to go through a, a minefield trying to find the, the place that we get our tickets from because you can't just go to the, like the normal ticket outlets to get one because, oh, well, you need the access ticket and you'll need a companion space. And so you have to send them all of your medical documents to prove that you need one. And it's a right rigmarole. So that kind of thing is what we're aiming to do you know, in this sector. So, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's kind of, and the drive is to make it so that I pass on my knowledge to younger people, I learn from them. We've got multiple impairments, so we've got people with hearing impairments and neurodiversity, we've got people with uh, learning impairments. So, so we're getting a, you get a really broad input. It's not like what well, I used to be, I trained to do it, so I was trained how to understand other impairments I didn't have, but 
I always think it's much better coming from lived experience. So that's something I've applied to this project. We've also got um, a wonderful trainer called Libby Welsh, who is uh, hearing impaired herself and does creative access. So how to make, say you've got people speaking on a, on a podium, how to make that accessible and interesting. If you've got a performance, how to make it so the signer dances along with the band or whatever. So there's loads of ways of wow. doing it. And that's the thing is, it's pushing it forward because up until now, kind of, I think that the, the sector has thought, well, we've done it. We've got a raised platform. There's a couple of toilets and we give them a companion ticket, even though they have to jump through hoops to get it. So that's it. We've kind of done it. Oh, well, I have to say, I mean, I've done many, many looking at venues and, you know, at the beginning of a, a process for a corporate <laughs> event. And, and I, yeah. I know for the tickets and things you're talking about, festivals, there's a lot of people listening who do corporate events and what have you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you say to the venue and uh, accessibility. Oh, yes, we've got uh, an accessible loo. And you go, OK, that's good. And I sort of go, that's very good. And we move on. Now, since knowing you guys a little bit more, I ask a few more mm. questions these days. And, yeah. and oh, could we could we pop a look at them, please? And, um, oh, I see. So, yes, you've got it, but you seem to be using it as a storeroom. Or um, <laughs> or the or the other the other one I had a year or so ago was, uh, yes, we've got an accessible loo. Okay. How did they get here? Uh, how, and how did they get to this level where all the action is? Ah, yes. Well, we're a very old building, so what you have to do is you have to go all the way around the block to the, um, to the load-in bay, and then up in the load-in yeah. lift, and then, then you're here. And where's the accessible loo? Oh, that's back down on the front. So if somebody wants to spend a penny, they have to go. Uh, that's not really accessible, is it? No, really. No. So, and I'm. Yeah. I, I, so I'm not just going. Have you got? No. I'm actually now going. How good is it? Which which has been the change in me. You yeah. Know? I think that's. The, I mean, the thing is, it, the way the law's written means that it's it's really strange because everyone thinks that it's the venue, the location that has the legal responsibility to make sure it's accessible. But that's not how the law's written. So basically, if you hold an event and I turn up and I can't attend because of lack of access, then you are liable. I sue you and then you sue the venue or you sue the person that booked you the venue and then they sue the venue, which is ridiculous. And it's why I've always said that we, you know, anyone that um, puts on conferences, events, exhibitions should be working with disabled people because then we go in mob-handed and that pushes the venues because at the end of the day, they're the ones that can provide the physical access. I mean, there's still stuff like making sure that all of your information is available in formats that people can use, you know, making sure you have information, you know, an access guide to what you're doing is wonderful. It always falls down with the venues as well as um, you know, oh, they're being used as a storeroom. The, the other one that I've always found is that they're not cleaned. And so you, cool. you go into, um, I can think of some major exhibition centres where you, you know, you spend ages trying to find the accessible toilet because it's somewhere in a corner somewhere behind a barrier. And then you get to it and it's like, well, this has never been cleaned. And I just want to point out that if you're a wheelchair user, a manual chair user, you push your wheels, which means you touch your tyres, but your tyres have touched the floor. So it's a bit like oh, putting your hands on the floor and going, lovely, uh, lovely, lovely. Uh, so just, uh, just, just, just to think about that. Folks. Mental picture there. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you see, I, I wouldn't know that. No. You know, just going to a restaurant with you, I learned quite a lot. You yes. Because we yeah. turned up outside and you go, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. I get it now. It's funny because we uh, recently I went to a restaurant and they, they were really lovely. 
and you know we got in and they had an accessible loo and it was and they were like yeah we're really accessible but the ramp they had was a temporary ramp i think they'd nicked it from some road work so you know that yellow plastic thing <laughs> that you go up so yes. they've got one of them and it meant that the, the lip up to the door was at a, a 45 degree angle and i was like well i can do this but anyone in a power chair wouldn't and this is also something that's really important to remember what happens a lot is i'll go places and they'll go well we have people in wheelchairs come here and they're fine and then you go, can they walk? And you go, yeah, they walk a bit. And I go, well, I can't walk at all. We're all different, even though... So what I always say is, try to aim for the person with the least able to do stuff. Because then if someone can walk, fine. But if they can't, they're not excluded. And they're not made to feel like it's their fault. Can we, can we just talk about a, a bit, having a bit of a shared experience? Yeah. I have a, a little memory of an, an event that we did, which was predominantly DJs actually yeah it was in the elizabeth park in london and there we, we took the decision not to build a ramp because we just couldn't see that anybody would want to go and sit at the back in their wheelchair watching a dj do what djs do while everybody else was kind of down in the front having a great time so we took that decision and uh lots of people turned up in wheelchairs yep. because i later found out that that particular park because it was designed for the olympics people you know and you mentioned it earlier people with a disability feel safe to come along because yep. they know it's okay there yeah. uh, so i looked around and went oh there's a lot and then at the end of the night one wheelchair user got all the wheels caught in some rubbish and, and what have you and so I, I went off to help and what have you and i thought Am I going to get a bit of shtick because of the, you know, you know, we haven't put a facility that's away from everybody else? And so I asked her, I said, uh, you know, we didn't put a ramp in. What, what, what's your view? And she went, oh, thank God you didn't do that. There's nothing worse than being sat at the back and told to behave. Yeah. I wanted to be down here giving the chair some welly. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and she'd had a lovely, lovely time. I, and, I uh, always and I thought, think, oh. in that situation, I always think that what it's, what it, the best thing to think of is, There'll always be people like her, and then there'll be people that do find it difficult that would like a quieter area. I, not that long ago, I'm getting to that age now where not that long ago was 2016, but um, I went to three gigs at the forum. And because what happens a lot is that they now have like spaces, like, oh, this is the disabled enclosure, nothing like being an enclosure. And you're made to go there and you can't go and dance and you, you can only have one friend and all that. I hate that. But I was there with a couple of guys that had, oh, that were autistic. And they were like, oh, no, I couldn't go down in the audience. That would be too much. So it's, it's understanding. They can walk. They don't need the ramp, but they just needed a space. And um, one of my first ever projects was um, working with the Ministry of Sound, getting their club to be accessible because it was all level. It was a really nice place to go. But the toilets were a bit dodgy and other things. And we worked together with the lighting team to make a light-free corner. Because one of my good mates had epilepsy, light-sensitive epilepsy. So she, so she couldn't go clubbing. So I thought, well, why don't we just make a little zone where the lights don't go? And then if the lights are too much for you, you can go and dance there. And I'll never forget, the, you know, once we'd done it, I said, come down, you're going to love it. And she went down and she danced all night because she finally had a place to dance. And I think that that's, that's the thing, is, is that you're right to, to say, I, I would like, I mean, if I went to a club, I want to be on the dance floor. I don't want to be in a special disabled area, you know, with my one friend. Um, but I do think that there are people that do. So, so it's, it's kind of also horses for courses. Some places, you know, 
I mean, I will never forget going to see In Excess, and this really does date me because it was the 80s. And um, it was at the old Wembley Stadium, and we'd, we were on the sort of ramped, raised platform bit, and I was sitting there and I was thinking, there are about 60,000 people in here. I want to go before they leave. So I went to leave like during the encore, and the security guard said, no, mate, you can't leave. You've got to wait till the end. I went, what, wait till 60,000 people have left? And he went, yep. And it got really heated, and he would not let me go. He would not let me leave. And so, and then all of the people on the platform were like, oh, no. And so you've got this row of disabled people going, no, no, we've got to leave now. No, it's for your own good. And I think this is the thing as well, is you do get quite a paternalistic attitude sometimes, especially from security staff. So, again, it's about training. It's about understanding that we have a right to choose to say, right, I'm going to leave early. We weren't leaving when everyone else did. That would be dangerous. But if we leave early, we don't care if we miss three songs at the end. We wanted to get out and get in our car before everybody else. Oh, well, and presumably, like like everybody else, you could have just had a phone call. Somebody's been taken ill. Yeah. You don't oh, absolutely, yeah. You, just want, to, you yeah. just want to leave. The, the, I, the idea that, no, Sonny, I, in fact, uh, I think he said the famous line, there's always one, and Sonny, you're it, to me. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you what the reply was, but it did involve swear words. So, uh, and it's sort of, that's the attitude you get. You do get that, Steve, even today. That's why you can get everything right physically. And if the staff are bad, then you end up with a bad experience. And actually, really well-trained staff can actually make something that's not perfect much better. And if you know you're not going to be able to get it absolutely right, like you said, oh, well, this is an old building. Um, the old building argument is trotted out quite a lot. I can imagine. Even yes. though I'm, one of my areas of expertise is working in historic buildings and you can make them accessible very easily if you work with Historic England and not just go, the local council says no, hooray. But, but it's, it's also, if your staff understand, to th that story of, well, you go out the door, round the thing, in the lift, down the thing, up the thing, through the front door, into the toilet can be done much better than that description. <laughs> yes. So it's sort of, it's a mixture of, aren't you lucky we've got a toilet? No, because the toilet does need to be nearer to where I am, not where you put it. Now, for those working and listening in public events, we'll recognise a lot of this. Mm. The corporate event yeah. world, of course, I do hear from time to time, and I've, I've been in these conversations when I've gone, oh, right, let's just check about disabled access and what have you. And there is a little murmur of, yeah, but it's, it's, it's okay. We know everybody that's coming. Nobody's yeah. disabled. Yeah. And, and you go, well, yeah, that's fine. I actually had a situation once when the CEO of the company, who had to be on stage, had to move around, do quite a lot at this event, <laughs> went on a skiing holiday the week before. <laughs> you know where this is going already, don't you? I do, I do. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't, he, he wasn't very mobile when he got to us. And, yeah. of course... Yeah, it was a problem because you couldn't get yeah. anybody that couldn't actually walk up some steps easily onto stage and all the other bits and pieces. So I, that, the point I just wanted to make, and I, I'd just be interested to, to hear your comments as well, but don't assume because you think that yeah. there's nobody going to be in a wheelchair that that's going to be the case. Well, one of the, I mean, one of the big things is, is people think that wheelchair means disabled. Now, it's, it's actually quite easy to make a conference accessible. It's one of the areas I sort of really focused on for a few years. And it's, it's quite easy to do. You just ramp the stage and, you know, kind of have a toilet and you're done, really. But there are loads of other people that have either impairments around communication. Um, have you got captions? Do you have signers? And also, there are people that have invisible impairments that mean you have no idea. A large number of people are neurodiverse. A large number of people are dyslexic. 
So you're saying, and look at this lovely slide here, and I'm talking about this thing, and here are some lovely things, and everyone's taught don't read the slide, because that's bad practice. People can read the slide themselves. Well, not if you're blind or you can't read. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a change of how you think. It's basically thinking, what if? So you go up to, to any situation and go, well, what if I wasn't able to interact like most people what would i do and that's when you start thinking about accessibility because what happens so often is you see a set of slides and it's just bullet points and you're like well what does that mean what's the answer to that what what do i get from that and it's it's what we're all taught not to do whenever you're doing any kind of training or public speaking or you know using slide sets you're told don't do that but for access it's much better to do it it is always lovely when, when you get to the end of something and you go, oh, we got that right. That's lovely. I was involved in a big exhibition, a mobility roadshow, which had lots of exhibits for disabled folk. And, of course, we had to make everything accessible all the way through. And a lady came to us towards the end of the, the day and said to us, she hadn't been in a wheelchair for very long. She said, it's the first time in a couple of years that I've just kind of felt that I everything was accessible and I was I was just a person and not 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 a bit of a yeah. bother frankly and yeah, um, yeah uh, it was such a lovely moment I mean I always say that one of the great things about accessible inclusive design is that it works for everyone if you get it right everyone's okay but that also means that someone like that lady like I was when I was 16 you know newly in a chair can start seeing that their life can get better that you can go back to the person you was and if nothing else, I always say it's kind of really good to think about it in a selfish way. It, it might not matter to you now, but as the disabled community is the only one you can join in the blink of an eye, it's worth doing it just on the off chance. It's like hedging your bets. <laughs> so basically, without wanting to sound too scary, if you do this good, if you get it all right for someone else, one day it might work for you. Or a member of your family or, or, or whatever. Yeah, actually. exactly. Okay. I mean, if nothing else, it'll work for you when you get old. Lots of things we could carry on talking about this is supposed to be yes. a short podcast as a bit of an introduction but it strikes me <laughs> there are a couple of places that people there'll be some people who may not need the full training but just want to get involved with fab mm. so your local clubs if there's over 120 of them there's probably one near wherever you're listening to this in the UK yep. and, and I guess that's a, a good way of starting and, and finding out more if you're running events with disabled people as you say but your training schemes, I mean, is this, yeah. you know, do we have to come to school for a month? Is it a day? Is it an hour? What's what? How does all this work? Oh, no, no, no. I, I do a bespoke package for each client. So basically, um, I can come in and give you an access audit. I can do some, some access consultancy on planning so you get the whole thing right. I can come in and train your staff. And that would be, you know, it can be anything from a day training to uh, I did a, an hour and a half course recently where it's just the bare bones of what someone might need. And especially with this kind of intersector, you're talking about high turnover of staff. You don't want to be, you know, locking them all in a room for a day. Um, so, so it would be bespoke. So I'd say, right, we'll make a package that works for what you're doing. If it was a venue, I'd probably say, let's have a bit more focus on that because I think venue staff are the ones that the sort of temporary staff would go to to ask for advice. So that's why. But it's all about making a package that works for the client. And that's how I've always worked. And, and now that sort of FAB has got its access consultancy and training services, FAB Axe, started up, that's what we're going to be doing. And like I said as well, we've got specific specialists. So say you want to find out how do we make uh, our event 
you know, neurodiverse welcome, then that way we've got experts in that. How do we make it so that if you're hearing impaired, we make sure you get the same quality of experience? We've got an expert in that. So it's, 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 um, it's a broad old team that we've got. Um, so come to us at fab.org.uk. You'll find the contact form. Send us a little message and we'll get in touch and take it from there. And I should say, although, you know, you will charge a few pounds, the mm. money goes to Fab, which is a charity and yep. runs all these adventure holidays, yep. youth clubs, social clubs yep. and, and what have you. So uh, what, what, so, we're, what so... we're doing is all the freelancers are going to be paid the going rate, which is really important because one of what we're trying to do is get more disabled people into work. Ah, good. So yeah. this is a, one of those areas where disabled, that's why I went into it, because I realised that I can make a career in this. And I want to support other young disabled people to do the same, to follow in my footsteps. So we're going to be training them up. We're going to be giving them support, how to do their, you know, banking and whatever, uh, kind of all of that. But it will be a kind of a growing project, a specific project. And that's, that's the whole point. It's going to be somewhere where anyone can go and just say, we need a little bit of help or we need a load of help. And the money you give us, if you're a business, the money you give us will go, one, to the charity, two, to make sure that we're paying everyone fairly. And then... Also, we have a kind of project where we're going to be going into schools, um, education centres, uh, charities, and offering them training and support. And that will be funded either partly or completely by the little bit that you pay for what we do. But it's not a little bit. I do charge proper money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to say I charge reasonable rates. I don't. I charge rates. So, uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, uh... Fair is fair. The the nice thing is that uh, you, you know you get a you get a good service, but yeah. you know the money then goes any profits go to really good uh, projects, yeah. which is what yes, I, I wanted to to kind of point out. Yes, to I've people. moved all of my all of my personal private clients over to Fab, so I've given up my own personal uh, company to run it as Fab because I think that's the better way of that doing was it. just something yeah. I really wanted to do. So it's kind of for me, I think all of this is about leaving a legacy. If you want to get it right, that that in itself is the beginning of making a change. So as soon as you go, I want to get it right, we can help you or other people can help you. There are other companies. There are other companies out there. Um, but, you know, not as good as that. But anyway, and we can help you get it right. And then you leave a legacy. Because once, if you get it right and get it right every time and improve, you're always going to be attracting more and more people. People know they can come. People know you're the company that gets it right. And also we are, I mean, disabled people are quite a loyal customer base. So, you know, if you are putting on events, if we go to one and it's great, we will go again. If we go to one and it's awful, getting us back is really hard. My guest has been uh, a lot of fun, Mick Scarlett. Uh, I think you've opened our eyes quite a, quite a lot over the last uh, 25 minutes or so. The website, of course, will be in the narrative of the podcast, wherever you're listening from this podcast. Just go and have a look in the description. Uh, but for now, Mick Scarlett, co-CEO of the charity Fab, thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me on, Martin. Uh, you'll find other podcasts focused on the event industry linked to this one. We're adding to the library all the time. So please pop back and see us soon. I'm Martin Blunt. Thank you for listening. <laughs>